electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner. You just heard the bells. We're just getting started here from Post 9 at the New York Stock Exchange. In just a little bit, I'll speak to one investor who says he's found a big opportunity in this volatile market. You'll find out exactly where. We begin, though, with our talk of the tape, whether stocks are setting up for a big rally into and out of this week's Fed meeting. Was today the start of that? Sounds crazy, given how negative everyone seems to be these days. Well, one well-known CNBC contributor says it could, in fact, be the case, and the signal could be in the bond market. He is Josh Brown. He is the co-founder of Ritholtz Wealth Management, and he is on the phone. Josh, thank you so much for calling in. It was at about 2.25 or so where you sent me an email that sent the following. Blow-off top for short-term yield uh, treasury yields, the two-year failing at 4%. VIX barely budging higher, 10-year calling BS on the two-year. It's saying, quote-unquote, the Fed ain't getting to 425 uh, this year. This smells like a rip-your-face-off rally brewing into after the FOMC. Uh, what led you to believe that this was about to happen? I was, but thanks for having me. I, I was just watching the VIX fail to confirm. Like, if, if we were going to have rates continue to shoot straight up, that should have been accompanied by a lot more stock market volatility than what we were seeing. Like, that pair has been working all year um, as being coincident with each other, and the VIX just couldn't get excited today. Then you see the two-year yields kind of flirting with 396, 397, not really pushing through, had all the reason in the world to push through, and it didn't happen. And the 10-year get stopped at about three and a half, which doesn't mean it's going to get stopped there forever, but three and a half is highly significant on the 10-year Treasury. That was the high back in 2018 when the bond market basically told Trump his trade war wasn't working. Um, that was an important level when the Fed pivoted in the fall of 2018, and that was where the 10-year Treasury got to this June, which is when the market hit its low. So these levels are really, like, you don't have to believe in them, but enough other people do that they're important to watch. So when the VIX failed to really get going today and you started seeing, like, the, the, the large-cap tech names bottoming out, et cetera, you just look at this setup. This guy's going to come in uh, on Wednesday, tell you what you already know he's going to say. Everyone is expecting hawkishness. Everyone is expecting 75 or 100 basis points. Your Denny's saying 100 basis points. If he delivers that, the narrative is going to change to, okay, great. So another 25 in November, another 25 in December, we're probably good. Once that narrative is seized upon, people are not long enough, and I think you could have a face ripper. The other point is, I guess this makes the point that maybe the Fed can't be as aggressive as it sounds as though it will be or some expect it to be, and that's why the bond market is reacting in some respects to what you just said, and then the stock market follows in turn. And by the way, I was waiting for us to settle out to see if we could actually close at 3,900 on the S&P. We're at um, 3,899.99. I, I saw just for a moment there, we, we did make it to 39. 
uh, and we're still settling out. So we're like right at a technical level that a lot are watching. But in, in some respects, is that what this is about? That the Fed is just not going to be uh, able to be as aggressive as Jay Powell certainly sounds like he will be. Look, I don't even think the first set of rate hikes have uh, actually worked their way through the economy yet. But the early indications are that demand is crashing. You look at you look at home builder sentiment. You look at existing home sales. You look at any anything to do with housing. It's it's like heading into almost freefall uh, at this point in time. And part of it is seasonal. I understand, but. Um, that's a really, really big and important chunk of the market. You listen to what uh, semiconductor companies are telling you about double ordering and gluts. You look at shipping costs are, are falling through the floor. You look at uh, you look at gasoline. Like all of the things that we were screaming bloody murder about, and rightfully so, in January, February, March, April. They are now directionally doing exactly what the Fed needs them to do. Whether or not the Fed did it is not the point, right? The point is where they're going. So I don't know. Look, the market doesn't believe that the Fed is getting to four and a quarter. That might be what their dot plot says on Wednesday, uh, uh, you know, at, at the conclusion of this meeting. The market just doesn't believe it, doesn't believe they'll need to, or doesn't believe they can get there without already causing a recession, which would cause rates to start falling. So that inversion, it should be on everyone's screen. That is the thing right now. Mm -hmm. So I'm not telling you the economy is bad. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying right now the setup is that it would be very hard for the Fed to shock us to the downside. Got you. Uh, I appreciate you calling in. I know you're jammed up, uh, and I so much appreciate that. We can continue the conversation on the halftime report tomorrow when Josh Brown uh, joins us. But let's ask another top market watcher what he thinks about all of this. Adam Parker, he's the CEO and founder of Trivariant Research. He is here with me at Post 9. What do you make of this? What do you make of this turnaround today and what Josh was talking about, too? Well, I mean, look, Josh uh, is a better market watcher than me. You know, I do re- I'm a research nerd, right? So we don't really make the one-week calls. Uh, and so I'll defer to him. He's got a good one-week wrap. But you could speak to the, the broader issue yeah. of you know, what Powell's likely to do this week, whether it's going to soothe or upset the market, whether it's going to be a shock, or if he I mean, tells us what we already the reason I fi- think I we an- know. The reason I answer that way is because what happens over the next week is different. I, ultimately, they're going to be wrong, and inflation's going to be stubborn. I know that. What, well, what, you what, don't know that. I do know that because the CPI is 32% owner's equivalent rent, and rents are continued to be pressured higher. Why? Because if you think about housing as a two-by-two grid, Scott, right? High home prices, low home prices, high borrowing costs, low borrowing costs. Which quadrant are we in? High borrowing costs, high home prices. We haven't had a lot of transactions yet, and so if you're a new buyer, you're a young guy, right? You're gonna say, you know what? I'm going to rent for a year or two because i got to either have the 30-year fix come down or home prices have to come down. So there's actually, I just was at a conference two weeks ago, everyone is saying they're still taking almost 1% per month pricing. So the CPI is going to remain elevated for a long time. If it just started to get flat today, man, it would still take 11, 12 times raising 1% a month. 
zero. It's, it's just going to have a lot of well, so upward how pressure. So how high is the Fed going to raise I don't know what rates. these guys are going to do. They were buying billions of dollars of mortgage-backed securities. I know you keep saying that so every time they have no on. idea. So the point is they have no idea. How well, What difference they? does it make? CPI, so they this. made a mistake before. Does that mean that they have no credibility for here to perpetuity? It means they're going to keep raising rates so they control inflation much more than they have. Inflation's been stubborn in other spots besides just housing, but it has been in housing. So I think they're going to continue to be hawkish. Maybe they won't be incrementally hawkish this week. That's possible, and you could get a little relief rally. What I find hard in any medium to long-term view is what makes them more dovish is earnings come down, right? So if I think about the stock market as the price to earnings times the earnings equals the price, I have to be sustainably bullish because the P is going to expand because they get dovish. At the same time, my view of earnings is really declining a lot. Well, what if That's a hard come, What if earnings don't come down as much as you think they will? I, I wrote about this this week. I think I sent it to you overnight. I think what I'm starting to sort of warm to is the fact that this decline in earnings won't be short. It could maybe last into 2024. So investors who build models to predict earnings and revenues for stocks, they think out 6, 12 months and say, what could be worth? If they, everyone I know has 2024 earnings above 2023, well, what if that's wrong? What if the consumer's been stubborn but starts to slowly unfold here over 6, 12, 18 months? Because we see a little bit of wage decline into next year as there's more firings. And we see a little bit of firing and unemployment rise next year. And the Fed starts saying, all right, it's working. I think what Josh said I agree with is it's not like they started in March and we've seen the full impact of it now. It's going to take multiple quarters. So I think that'll be interesting to see maybe the consumer will slow into 2023 and 24, and all of a sudden, my assumptions and every one of my models that every analyst has in the street is the numbers are way, way okay, too high to justify if, the valuation. If it takes that long of a runway so sure to we get to get that a rally point in the next week, of course we could. No, forget about the yeah, next yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's talk about the next handful of months. Right. If it's going to take that long in your mind for the consumer to start to really roll over, for earnings to start to come way down, what happens in the interim? That's a long I, I runway honestly, of time. I honestly think you know you're you know, 3,900 as you said. I, I give you. A, yeah, we're like right there. Right. I, I think we're plus or minus 7%, 8% here over the next three, four months. It's hard for me to get out of that range. I think when you get to the upper end of the range, you're going to worry about quantitative tightening, a hawkish Fed, and earnings that have to come down. When you get to the bottom, you could say positioning and sentiment. The one thing that I might have disagreed with Josh on, and I largely agree with him because, you know, I think we look at a lot of the same metrics, but I, I would say that I don't think people are as positioned anywhere near as negative as the rhetoric. You and I have been talking about for a while, look, everyone knows earnings are too high, everyone's kind of negative. But if you really look at hedge fund exposures or retail flows, people, the banner is negative, but people aren't really that positioned that negatively. So I don't know how much of a influx positive you know, flow argument we could get over multiple months. It I mean, could be a couple of weeks, but I don't think it'll be massive, a massive inflow there, argument. There are some who suggest that bonds are now the best game in town. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's what Gunlock told me last week. If you really want to go for it, and you should, this is his words, my advice is to sell stocks and buy opportunistic bonds. It was brutal to be a bond investor for the past several years. Now it's actually the place to be. I think we've talked about it. I like the two-year bond. I mean, if you're you're managing a portfolio uh, uh, or you're looking at your own assets, are you sure you get almost you know, 4% now on the two-year for the next two years? Are you sure you're going to beat that? You put some money in, you get 3.9% a year for the next two years. I think that's a lot more compelling than it was 6, 12, 18 months ago. There must ago. be a layup then because everybody's talking about the two-year being the best place to be right now. Is it really that easy? I just think it, well, it's guaranteed by the U.S. government. So, yeah, from that standpoint, it's easy. I think what people aren't maybe talking about, two things. One, the sustained impact of an inverted yield curve, meaning that two years above the five is above the 10. Historically, that is a mixed cocktail for equities. 
And two, and Josh talked about this a little bit with semiconductors, I think it's important to look at inventory levels right now and understand, are we really going to have a, a too much product out here into the fourth quarter? And I think that's, that's of note. So Scott Minard was on uh, earlier today in the, in the exchange and suggested there was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And by the way, he's negative on stocks, right? He thinks we're going to go down 20% between now and right. October. Okay. Once-in-a-lifetime <laughs> opportunity in highly levered unicorns, he said. Time to bet selectively on high-yield, great companies with nonsensical capital structures, at least 30 to 50 such stocks on the market. Now, he was not going to reveal the specific names, sort of suggested that we all should know exactly what they are. What are highly levered unicorns in your mind right now? Huh. Well, I, I don't know if, you know if I look empirically at our database to study the history of returns. I'm not sure we've ever had a period where 30 to 50 stocks have gone up a lot when the market was down 20. So I, I don't think there's any evidence that you could find that. I suppose what he means is people will be able to isolate securities that will have a lot of underappreciated growth. I think you need a dovish Fed to get the price to earnings or EV to sales ratios to expand. But at the same do time. you think there have been, as a result of the environment we're in, um, asymmetric declines in, in stocks that don't deserve to have come down as much as they have? Or if they have, it's still worth buying some of them anyway because they are these unicorns that he describes. I think it all depends on Horizon, right? Uh, I, I have a friend who uh, just had a baby the other day, was allocating to the 529, and I, and I thought, well, yeah, in an 18-year view, you sure, you sure as heck want a lot of growth and, and, and ability. You don't want to be negative on tech and healthcare in a, in a long-term view just because you're in a negative moment for six months when your kid was born. Right? So I think it depends on your horizon. If you look out two, three, four years, of course you're going to want some, some highly, uh, you know, high-quality U.S. growth companies in your portfolio. I think the question is, over the next six months, when the Fed's going to be hawkish, when CPI is going to be high, when the numbers are way too high, that's a trickier risk-reward in my view. All right, let's bring in Katerina Simonetti of Morgan Stanley Private Wealth Management, a CNBC contributor, Brenda Vingello of Sandhill Global Advisors. It's great to see uh, both of you. Katerina, your reaction to this, uh, this call, if you want to call it that, from Josh Brown that you could get a, an interesting move here into and out of the Fed meeting. Well, Scott, there is a lot of risk in this market and not much reward uh, for the upside. And this is a reality. And that's why looking at the equities and leaning defensively, leaning strategically towards the dividend yield and looking at equities that deliver strong cash flow high dividend yields is so important in this inflationary environment. And we prefer sectors like healthcare, financials, REITs, that historically have been paying decent amount of, of income and can serve as inflation hedge. And, you know, Fed is going to do what they are going to do. There is going to be some type of a lag between the Fed action and the desired outcome. And the question is, are we going to get a recession and how severe it's going to be? And based on that, we will need to figure out how to proceed. But the earnings risk is very significant and market is not taking it as seriously as it needs to be. And that's for sure. So, Brenda, so Katarina says the Fed, I'm writing it down, the Fed is going to do what the Fed is going to do. Uh, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not going to be able to do what it ultimately thinks it has to do uh, for a variety of reasons. The economy notwithstanding uh, is the principal one. Yes, and I think we'll, we'll certainly learn a little bit more on Wednesday. But I would say, you know, over the last couple of weeks, the sentiment has felt a lot like it did back in early to mid-June, where there's a lot of concern about 2023 earnings and what those might look like. And there's a lot of concern about what the ultimate path of the Federal Reserve is going to be. 
But I think this time around, we're going to have a press conference, which is important. We didn't have that um, after Jackson Hole. And so in that, there's typically an opportunity for the Fed to reiterate that they're data dependent, uh, that they're going to keep watching what's happening in the broader economy and take that into consideration. And I think that's an important secondary message here. But I agree with Josh in that, well, I hope that we do have a rally. I'm not banking on that um, here in the short term. But I do agree that we are closer to the end of this rate hiking cycle. And so if we think about the end of the year is just three months away, um, it's not very far from now. And I think if the, we can get there and the market then has clarity on what things look like going forward, even if we continue to see weakness, which I think we will in many of these sectors that were huge pan benefit uh, pandemic beneficiaries, things like consumer goods, uh, housing, all of these groups really benefited tremendously over the last few years. So we've had, uh, you know, just a return to normalcy in terms of trend. And in some cases, that might mean that there is a year-over-year -year decline. Uh, but these have also been areas of huge sources of the inflationary pressure that we've been seeing. So this should contribute to helping with the inflation problem that we've, we've been uh, and, seeing. So we might find that doesn't have to do as much. <laughs> Yeah, unless AP, you know, we, we uh, are setting ourselves up for a fake out, like after the Fed meeting the last time, where there was the prevailing view was that we're he said we're closer, we're getting closer to the end, right? And then the CPI came out and was like, uh oh, maybe right. not, right? right? And the market started to market started to uh, project a much more hawkish outlook, m m much more than people had expected. 75, for example, this week, followed by 50 and then 50, rather than, okay, maybe it's 50, 25, 25. How about this, this view? I mean, I, look, we're definitely closer to the end than we were. I mean, I think that's for Better sure. Better be. Yeah. I just, we got bigger problems. Right. I think what I'm struggling with is, again, I'm, I'm supposed to be more bullish when they get dovish at the same time it's more obvious the economy is massively declining and earnings are impaired. And so it's hard to just say earnings completely don't matter. All you care about as an investor is do they get directionally dovish or not this week? Where, That's a two-day uh, or three-day algorithm. Where you, where, you, where you been for the last 14 years? But, but no, <laughs> right. what, what, no, but I, no, no. Fed fund futures have really only mattered for the last six, nine months as we've gotten more anticipated. You're telling me at all that earnings next year don't matter and they don't matter. The year? You're not saying that. I'm saying no, I'm not saying that. There's at all. a trade on Thursday or Friday based on this. But if we look out to Q3 earnings and everyone says, you know, things are starting to slow. We look out in January. Things are slowing material. We're firing. It doesn't matter, you know, um, what happened, you know, if it's 25 and, and, and 25 or 50 and 50. What matters is they've decimated the economy. I think the reason why people they will get more double eventually eventually is because they finally will have caused a pretty big recession. You think they are going to decimate the economy? I think they have no choice. Yeah, I think they will. So Katarina Minard, who I referenced earlier, Scott Minard, of course, uh, said that Fed raising rates is going to, quote, uh, end in tears for investors. <laughs> do, do you agree with that? Fed is going to react to the data. That the, Fed, they the Fed. Say that again. I'm sorry. I couldn't hear you. The Fed, Fed, Federal Reserve is going to react to to the data. It's a, a data driven Fed. And in my opinion, the, the rate hikes that we're seeing have already been incorporated into the market. I don't think that we're going to be surprised by anything they're going to do. I think that the real um, news to watch here are going to be earnings, earnings that have been declining and they're going to be revised to the negative. 
And that is what is going to bring that next leg down in the market. And this is something that investors are, if they're not concerned about yet, they should be concerned about. And that's what we need to be preparing for, because things might get a tad bit worse in the equity market before they start getting better. And this is tied directly to the earnings revisions. Once earnings right. are revised and we can move on to the next bull market, that will be the positive news. But we're not quite there yet. You're advising uh, wealthy clients, Morgan Stanley Private Wealth. Are you advising them to look to fixed income over stocks right now? Well, Scott, fixed income definitely offers safe haven, especially short-term, high-quality corporate debt is looking so much better. And this is a nice relief that there is a place that investors can go. But we encourage them strongly to stay with an equity market, strategically lean on defensive sectors, look at yield, make sure that the asset allocation is appropriate, because these... The, the, the bear market that we're experiencing right now is going to come to the end, and we need to be positioned appropriately in order to uh, take advantage of the recovery. And we're not there yet if we're sitting in fixed income, even though we're getting slightly higher yield, which is nice, but the yield is not adequately covering the, the risk of inflation. Inflation is really high. So we need to stay invested, but we have to do it in a very smart, strategic way. Last and brief to you, AP. Sure. I, I think it's hard for equity investors to buy those defensive stocks just because they look really expensive. They're bid up. So I find people are sort of owning them for risk management reasons, not alpha. And then really what they're looking for is some underappreciated value thing that could maybe recover in a dream next year. I don't see people as positioned that negatively, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I don't see people wanting to own a lot of the defensive stuff. So I, I, we'll see how it fleshes out, but I, I, I agree 100% that the earnings will come down. And I don't like the logic of just because everyone knows it. Everyone, it's, it's just because it's, I'm sweating in here because it's hot. Everyone knowing that doesn't make me cold. Okay, so maybe you're feeling it. the heat. I'm not I, sweating at all. I don't know. It's maybe just being with those beautiful glasses that are making me hot. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> all right, I'll see you. That's see Adam you. Parker. Good to see you, guys. ladies. Thank you as well. Uh, that's Katarina and Brenda joining us here. We'll talk to you again soon. Let's get to our Twitter question of the day. We want to know what's the best way to play defense in your portfolio right now: dividend stocks, bonds, or cash, or something else. You can head to at CNBC Overtime on Twitter. Cast your vote. We'll share them in the results later on in our show. Where we are just getting started, though, in OT, S and P hovering around a key level of support our next guest says it could be a sign of more pain to come and some of the most loved stocks could be the most vulnerable we'll tell you which ones they are in two minutes we're live from the new york stock exchange overtime's right back what does it mean to be rich is it having more stories to share or time to give is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Picture this. You're on a John Deere compact tractor, enjoying the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. The S&P 500 closing today, 3,899.89. Our next guest says the door is now open to retesting the June lows. That's about a 6% decline from here. Joining us now, Jonathan Krinsky, Chief Market Technician at BTIG. It's good to see you. So you're still holding on 30. I mean, does this count as 3,900? How can it not? 
We equivalent well, about a 0.01 points. Yeah, look, Scott. We use you know we look at the weight of the evidence, not just one given price level. We know that 3,900 was tested uh, a couple weeks ago, held, and then we obviously sold off um, post CPI last week and closed below for the first time since July on Friday. So you know it's not so much that one day you know makes or breaks the trend, but I think when you look at at how important 3,900 was. Um, it's the most amount of volume is traded at that price level over the last three years of any given price level in the S&P 500. Um, and you combine that with some other factors, you know, to us, it does suggest the path of least resistance is probably lower at this point. Did this move today? Uh, it was a pretty stark reversal. Uh, did it surprise you? You know, I, I, we we're just looking at if you look at the, the trading action in the last month or so, you know, we rallied hard into the Jackson Hole event, and then we got rejected firmly to the downside. Then we rallied hard into CPI uh, last week, and then got rejected hard to the downside. And you know, I think it's just a bit of covering ahead ahead of potentially a catalyst on on Wednesday being the FOMC. So, you know, look, the market doesn't work in straight lines; it works in trends. And you know, I think the trend for most time frames is still lower, but you're going to have these counter trend rallies in between. Well, what if Powell does what Josh Brown thinks may happen and just doesn't shock us, right? Like, what could he or they possibly say at this point that's going to shock you? Now, a, a hundred, if they go a hundred, I think that would be a shock to many because I don't think people really don't expect that that's going to happen. But what, what's going to surprise us at this point? Yeah, no, I mean, look, the, the macro is one element. Then you can get into the micro with earnings. Um, you know, your previous guest was talking about what could happen to the earnings. So, you know, all of this goes into the, you know, into the mix. But I think at the end of the day, when you look at, you know, what the market's doing, what it's telling us, um, there's just some signals that are not consistent with what we've seen at bear market lows. And one of them, you know, we've talked about this before, the VIX curve, every major market bottom over the last 15 years has not culminated until you've seen a 10 point inversion in the VIX curve, meaning spot VIX is at least 10 points above second month future. We haven't seen that at all. We haven't even gotten close to that at all this year. And then the second point is, uh, you know, we looked at the S&P on a monthly basis back to 1929, and every major bear market bottom, meaning when you've gone down 20% or more, we have not seen a market bottom until the monthly RSI has gotten below 42, with the exception of the 1987 crash, which wasn't really a bear market. It was a three-month you know, crash. So we're at about 47 on the monthly RSI now. So there's just a lot of things that suggest that, um, you know, we haven't seen the final low, you know, short-term trading aside around macro events, you know, to us, that just speaks to the fact that, you know, again, despite the fact that people say they, they're bearish or have capitulated, history says right. that we haven't seen that yet. So you must, I mean, you're looking at mega cap, right? Microsoft, new 52-week low, today. Um, Apple's had a nice little move uh, off of its off of its worst levels of, of last week. Where do mega caps factor into your thinking here? Because they have to somewhere, given the size and ownership. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about Apple on your show the last few weeks, um, thinking that still remains vulnerable. If you look at the relative strength of Microsoft and, and, and Alphabet in particular, uh, they're breaking to 18-month lows the last, couple, the last couple weeks. And then you look at you know, sentiment on those, there's still over 90% of sell side analysts have buy ratings on both of those stocks. So, you know, I think there's still some risk there. And then when you kind of look at, you know, how mega caps have traded and then, 
Um, you know, typically what happens in bear markets as bear markets unfold, you see, you know, you start with the smaller cap names rolling over first. We know that small caps peaked, um, you know, about 18 months ago. And slowly but surely, we're seeing some of these mega caps roll over. So Google and uh, and Microsoft have certainly broken down. Apple, you know, looks vulnerable to us, um, along with, with Amazon a bit. Um, and then you look at some of the low volatility names, uh, you know, those defensive bond proxies. Mm-hmm. Those continue... Mm-hmm. And conversely, are showing very good relative strength. And typically, you don't see bear market bottoms until the defensive relative strength peaks. So, um, you know, you add it all up, and it just smells to us like we're not quite out of the woods yet. Okay. I appreciate your time. That's Jonathan Krinsky, BTIG, joining us in overtime. It's not all doom and gloom out there, though. One investor says there is a big opportunity in one key area of the market. He has a few under the radar ways to play that. He'll tell us next. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Welcome back to Overtime. It's time for a CNBC News update with Shepard Smith. Hi, Shep. Hey, Scott. From the news on CNBC, here's what's happening. Just into our newsroom, Adnan Syed, the Baltimore man whose murder conviction spawned the serial podcast, will be a free man today. A Baltimore judge just vacated his conviction in the 1999 killing of his then-girlfriend. Prosecutors said Syed's lawyers filed motions asking for a new trial. The prosecutors citing new evidence. The judge ordered him to be on home confinement until prosecutors make a decision within 30 days to either drop the charges or try him again. Hurricane Fiona dropping torrential rains in Puerto Rico and now the Dominican Republic. More than a million people in Puerto Rico without power after that storm came ashore on Sunday. The flash flooding intense with the National Hurricane Center saying some areas could get 30 inches of rain by tonight. It's not expected to make landfall in the continental United States. And a powerful 7.6 earthquake rocking the Pacific coast of Mexico this afternoon. No reports of major damage so far, but a tsunami alert is in effect. Tonight, we're live in Puerto Rico with the latest on the storm damage. Plus, Wilfred Frost live from London on the Queen's funeral. And we go inside a private astronaut training program on the news. Right after Jim Cramer, 7 Eastern, CNBC. Scott, back to you. All right, appreciate that, Shep. Thank you. That's Shepard Smith. Healthcare, the worst sector today, one of two to finish negative. Our next guest, though, says it's one of his favorite places to invest through the downturn with a high potential for deals. Joining us now, JMP Security CEO Mark Lehman. Welcome back. It's good to see you here at Post 9. Uh, deals, wow. I mean, we haven't had any deals. There's no IPOs and near anything. Uh, that's true. But last week, uh, there were 15 deals on Wall Street that of, of consequence, and 10 were life sciences deals. So it has been a drought. Before that, three weeks of no deals. Last week, 10 deals. That's a better backdrop for life sciences. We uh, opening the spigot even more, or what? May, actually, what makes you think that we are? Well, Let's put it to you that way. As you know, the market for life sciences actually got ahead of the NASDAQ, so it's been soft for a while. Um, and, and these companies are six months uh, further away from the market. That means they're six months closer to needing more cash. 
So there's a little bit of a denial phase that we've been through. There's now an mm. acceptance phase. And I think between investors and issuers, it's time to put some prints up because they need the capital to get data. Are we specifically talking about the XBI? I know you've you've highlighted that. Is that the place to be it's, within healthcare right now? It, it's a place to look, right? That's going to be weighted towards much higher uh, market cap companies. The smaller companies are the ones that have near-term data and probably have more thirst for capital. Mm. But I often say there's no way to be a pessimist and be a life sciences investor. You have to be optimistic some of these things will happen. And I think you're seeing the deals happen where they're the market clearing price. So you're saying the XBI is better than the IBB? I think it's a, it, it, both are fine. What you want to find is the best companies within them. Okay. Life sciences is, is, un, is undervalued right now, given the data flow that we're going to see over the next 12 to 18 months. Okay, I'm glad you said that. I just want our viewers to understand sure. the difference between the two and why one may be more yeah. attractive than the other at this particular time. Uh, talk some names here. KRTX. Uh, why do you like that one? It's Corona Therapeutics. The, the, it, you'll see how much that stock's up this year. They had some unbelievable data in schizophrenia. They are going to hit other indications. It's a reminder of how much these stocks can move when the news is good. And the news was spectacular a few months back. The stock's going to hit other indications. That'll be good for the stock. Okay. CYTK. Why do you like that one? Cytokinetics uh, plays in the uh, heart failure market. Um, The stock has done exceptionally well over the last few years. Their best competitor uh, got taken out by Bristol-Myers for double the valuation Cytokinetics trades at. So there's an umbrella of market cap there that I love. Confluent. CFLT. Another tech stock that has not done particularly well this year, another uh, unicorn, uh, playing at a huge TAM. Um, and I think uh, I'm very optimistic over time that they will garner some of that market cap right now. The stock trades right with the NASDAQ. But in terms of, of, of the large cap tech names that we love at JMP, like Snowflake, Confluence right there, large TAM, great management. It's going to execute over what do you, time. Well, so you make me think when you use that, you use the word unicorn, as did Scott Minard earlier today. Um, this dislocation, he, he suggested, of these highly levered unicorns that have come down too much, that are once-in-a-generation opportunities. You subscribe to that? I think uh, no two unicorns are alike, uh, if that's a phrase. Uh, you have to pick your spots. Um, a few years ago, we loved a company called Workday that wasn't doing particularly well, that had a large TAM. I think the names that we mentioned here will be uh, also um, ones that have a large TAM. You have to be optimistic to play these stocks. You have to be forward-looking. You have to, uh, I'm part of a much larger company now. We sold our company to Citizens about a year ago. Uh, we were optimistic that they'd be a good partner. They're here in New York this week launching something very specific, the living portrait of New York City. If you're not optimistic, you don't love what's happening, you're not going to play in this market. We are optimistic about this. The well, I mean, you got to be realistic, too, don't you? You do, but look, at the stock market has had a pretty big fall in the first six months of this year. It's the worst first six months the NASDAQ has ever had. Mm-hmm. I don't think capital formation and innovation has slowed down at all. In fact, I look at these life sciences companies, they're down half, that 50% the XBI is. I don't think the life sciences CEOs have gotten 50% stupid over the last six, 18 months. I think we're going to have huge innovation, and you want to play the bigger names because you're going to have huge end markets. All right, we'll see you soon. Mark, Thanks, thank you. That's Mark Lehman joining us. Today, we are tracking all the action in the OT. Christina Partsinovolos is at the NASDAQ with what's coming up. Christina? The crowds have spoken, and this time they have approved a deal for software firm Zendesk. And Ford is out with a pre-announcement. High inventory and inflation are definitely a concern. More details on Zendesk and Ford and much more after this break. We're tracking the biggest movers in overtime. Christina Partsinovolos doing that for us once again. Hi, Christina. Hi, Scott. So shareholders have voted and the majority want software firm Zendesk to be acquired by both Hellman and Friedman and 
Premiera, sorry, for $77.50 per share in cash. That's a buck below today's close of $76.55. Zendesk, for those that don't know, make customer service uh, software, and the company has pretty much struggled to keep business, business momentum going. The takeover transaction by Hellman and Premiera is expected to close in Q4 of this year. Shares were moving, now they're flat. And shares of Ford moving in the OT after it reaffirmed its full year 2022 adjusted earnings before interest in taxes. Shares are down over five and a half percent right now and that's because of a supply shortage on parts as well as inflation that will run one billion dollars higher than previously expected for its third quarter ford believes now that roughly about 40 to 45,000, mostly trucks and suvs will remain in their inventory because of missing parts and will be sold off in q4 earnings keep in mind are out on october 26 so again shares are down five and a half percent right now and speaking of pre-announcements cognex which makes systems to help improve automated manufacturing announced it has increased its Q3 revenue guidance to about 195 million to 205 million so that's higher than previously uh, listed the company says they were much quicker at fulfilling customer orders and that's why they increased it analyst day tomorrow September 20th shares are up in the opposite direction of Ford five and a half percent higher Scott all right Christina thank you so much for that still ahead the dividend playbook with Treasury yields rising or dividend stocks worth buying. That is the debate in halftime overtime. It's next. In today's halftime overtime, yields of dreams. The recent rise in interest rates has left nearly 85 percent of stocks in the S&P 500 yielding less than the two-year Treasury. But despite this newfound competition from bonds, Joe Terranova is still finding attractive opportunities in dividend stocks. Both personally, I own and in the Joe ETF, Blackstone, AbV and Merck. These are three names, strong dividend yields, reasonable valuation, mid-teens. So these are three instances where I think you could look away from the competition in a Mm two-year, right, that you're getting from bonds and say, okay, I'll own these companies. All right, joining us now, Douglas C. Lane Managing Partner, Surat Sethi. Surat, I thought yields up, dividend stocks go down, no? Not all the time. I mean, uh, Joti's right there. I think you're going to look at stocks that also increase dividends over time. So, for example, Merck does to his point. But, you know, stocks like we like, like J&J, J&J's increases dividend over 30 percent in the last five years. Now, that's ahead of inflation. Same with Coca-Cola. Those companies that have pricing power, you want that, that you want them to raise their dividends in line, if not ahead of inflation. Those companies that are just holding dividends straight, some of kind of the utilities and some of the telecom, those are the ones that are going to get hit hard because that's where people will move the assets away from common equities into bonds because you can get that steady dividend on the bond side. You think it's harder to sell investors on on a strategy of dividends, though, uh, in this current environment? We read you one of the stats of fewer than 16 percent of the S&P yielding greater than the two-year. It's fewer than 20 percent yielding greater than the 10-year, that according to Strategus. Is it a harder sell as a money manager with clients who are looking for some you know, level of safety, if you want to put it there? It, it is a harder sell because equities have volatility. And, and people have seen, especially through COVID, those stocks that had dividends actually went down worse than the market. Uh, but I think a good combination of good dividend-producing stocks that are dividend grows, I, I call them growth and income, uh, along with now you can buy bonds and you are going to get and you've seen it. Uh, you're getting four and a half, five percent yields on corporate bonds that are three to five years out. We haven't seen that, Scott, in, in over five years. So I think it's a combination, but it is definitely a harder sell 
uh, especially for those investors who are scared of volatility. And, and dividend stocks have been volatile um, just as much as the rest of the market. Hey, Sarah, before I let you run, um, I'm looking at this news on Ford that crossed a, a little while ago, and we could throw the stock up in overtime because it was taking uh, a pretty good hit. Uh, they say the effect of parts shortages on their third quarter performance uh, is going to be a little more dramatic than they expected. They did reaffirm their full year adjusted EBIT guidance, uh, but nonetheless, they say inflation related supplier costs during the third quarter will run about a billion dollars higher than originally expected. Uh, if Ford is saying that, wouldn't you imagine that GM would have some of the same issues? I do. I, I don't think this is going to be isolated. I think you're going to see this auto, uh, through the auto supplies. But you also saw it last week. Uh, GE said the same thing. So I think you're coming into an earnings season, which we've been expecting, where companies are going to start talking down, maybe kitchen sinking it, saying, hey, we have higher costs. Supply chains are really hard. We're not getting the products we need. Uh, even though, you know, shipping times are shorter, it's just the products aren't there with semiconductors, other things. So we're going to see it. Good thing that they actually kept their earnings guidance. But the question, uh, Scott, okay, what's going to be is what, what is going to be next year, right? If you're going to yeah. keep it this year, are you pulling in from next year just to keep this year? And I think the market's probably going to speak and say, hey, we don't believe you. Uh, because you've also got a demand issue going on, right? And at what point does the consumer say it's too high to finance or I have enough what I need and it's a slowdown? So uh, I think this is uh, something ind indicative of what we're going to see in the next three to four weeks of earnings season. All right. I appreciate it. Uh, appreciate your help on the dividend story and on this news, which is moving and causing Ford shares to decline by about 6% in overtime. Surat Sethi, thank you very much. Semi stocks have been slammed this year. One money manager, though, sees a buying opportunity in one chip name. He's going to reveal... That one next in our two minute drill. It's time now for our two minute drill. Let's bring in Noah Hammond, CEO of Advisor Shares. It's good to have you with us. Let's let's talk for two minutes. Texas Instruments, your number one pick today in a space that is highly questionable right now. I think you would agree. I would agree. But uh, if you're going to be long stocks, you want to be long a stock where there's some demand. So we're really focused in on buyback as we get to the volatility. And uh, as you know, Texas Instruments announced a $15 billion buyback that was on top of an $8 billion buyback. So their numbers have been strong. Their margins are good, 30% range. They've seen some weakness in the personal electronics space, but growth in the auto and the you know in, uh, industrial space. So for the stocks that you're thinking about buying in this volatile market or that you're holding already, you want to buy where there's demand. And so that's nice demand for Texas Instruments. Man, you're living dangerously. Number two pick is Paramount Global. I know you've seen that stock recently. Yep. And it's the same thing. Uh, demand. And, and I use the phrase diamond hands for this, right? We haven't heard that in a long time because I know things have gone quiet in the crypto space. But you have Warren Buffett, who bought 68.9 is the number I had million shares in Q1, another 9.5 million shares in, in Q2. Uh, he's not likely selling them anytime soon. We all know what type of an investor he is on top of that they have their own buyback going on. So if you're going to be long stocks, again, be long where there's demand. Okay. Credit Acceptance Corporation, CACC. They're a subprime auto lender and you are short. 
we are short. And so this is a little bit of a ripple effect, I guess, maybe from the pandemic, right? We saw auto sales go up like crazy during that time frame. You couldn't even find a used car. You were getting amazing prices for your used car. And we've already seen the dominoes start to fall a little bit, right? With CarMax and Carvana, you know, have had their troubles over the last year. And that was really more of a demand trouble, right? Coming out of it. And now what's next is probably people who maybe have overextended themselves a little bit, especially in an increasing uh, interest rate environment, right? You guys have just been talking about that. It's going to be challenging. Um, and so we see them struggling and they struggled quite a bit this year, but they're trading at multiples. If you compare them to an ally, ally trades at about uh, one time sales, whereas um, Credit Acceptance Corp is trading at three times sales. So we see them struggling for a little while longer. Mm-hmm. Appreciate the time. Noah, thank you. That's thank Noah you, Hammond joining us in our two minute drill. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Up next is Santoli's last word. We're right back. All right. Welcome back to Overtime. The results of our Twitter question. We asked you, what is the best way to play defense in your portfolio right now? Forty two percent said good old cash. Interesting. Mike Santoli is here for his last word. Uh, you want to respond to that? You want to respond to Josh at the top of our program today? Kind of interested uh, in Josh's day. I don't disagree in broad terms with this idea that we have the makings for something like that. I'm not sure I would look at today's action and say, okay, we got the triggers, uh, they fired, and now we, we have one of these rallies. It basically is the June uh, bottom replay. In other words, a spike peak in the two-year yield. You actually had a much more aggressive surge in the two-year yield, went steeply higher in uh, in mid-June. You were right at a Fed meeting, June 15th, 16th. That was also coinciding with the lows for stocks. Uh, and in general, you got very oversold conditions firing. My, my thought has been since the August highs, the mid-August highs, was that you wouldn't have to get as low as you did in the S&P in June to get similar types of oversold technical, technical readings. That's starting to develop things like put call ratios. More broadly speaking, I don't think the VIX is much of a signal at these levels, uh, even if it didn't go up much, because the index itself, the S&P, was not doing a heck of a lot. So in those environments, it seems to me it's just kind of going sideways. But uh, otherwise, it's it's fine. Now, look, we only got back today one-seventh of what the S&P lost last week. Yeah. So you don't want to make too much of just kind of oh, for sure. this but, mechanical action. But yeah. I, I, see the, uh, I see the inputs to that kind of a call. And look, I mean, he emailed me at 228 I yeah, mean, exactly. b- before yeah. this whole- Before it even started, which I thought was interesting in and of itself. Now, Adam Parker raises the point. There's still this this hope, if not for a pivot, that the Fed is not going to be able to do what it wants to do. And he's like, well, how is that bullish? Because if that if that happens, it means the economy has rolled over so hard. And that's positive for stocks. So you're going to have that, too. Without a doubt. And I think one of the frustrating things is there isn't the makings of a of a clinching argument either on either the recession or no recession side in the next few weeks. All you can hope for, perhaps, is this idea that the terminal rate for for short term rates is in sight after this Fed hike, presumably on Wednesday. And then you can work from there in terms of whether the overall economy can be resilient against that. If, if, if Powell says, sorry, I think we can get unemployment up to six percent and mm-hmm. still be hiking rates. I mean, obviously, that's not yeah. going to be taken well. Yeah. Uh, no argument equals trading range. <laughs> Thank you. That's All right, that's Mike Santoli. Yeah. We'll see you tomorrow for your last word. I'll see everybody back here at the desk as well. Fast Money begins now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Yeah! 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 